Hey, it's Nikki Llewellyn and you're on Gut Plus Science. This podcast is on a mission to increase engagement at work. And on this show, we equip CEOs and people first leaders of all levels to make impact. Let's get to it. Hey, it's Nikki back on Gut Plus Science Healthcare. And today I get to visit with a passionate people leader on the cutting edge of organizational culture in the healthcare industry. Hackensack Meridian Health's VP of Culture, Tria Deber, is here to share how their large healthcare system identified a culture leader as a must-have and how this role has played a huge part in bringing two brands together to win as one and has created an army of champions moving HMH's cultural vision forward. Tria's extensive marketing background brings a unique twist that I think you're going to really enjoy. Let's get to it with Tria. All right, Tria Deber, welcome to Gut Plus Science Healthcare. Since this show is all about building people first and healthy, thriving company cultures in healthcare, I'd love to kick off our conversation learning about your role as VP of Culture for Hackensack Meridian Health. Uh, tell us how the role came to be and expand on the vision of your role and your team to make impact on HMH's engagement of people and how you're building a culture that retains and attracts great employees. So like many people, um, I had a bit of a windy path in my career. So I'm a marketer by background and I've been working for, I don't, I'm getting to the point where I don't want to say how many years, but about 23 years. And the majority of my career was spent in marketing. I started in B2B publishing and then about 15 years ago, moved into healthcare. And in my time in healthcare, I, you know, worked in hospital marketing and then sort of progressed into uh, customer experience. And now as VP of culture, I can tell you, I am absolutely, do, absolutely doing work that speaks to my soul. So, um, you know, when we merged, I did a lot of work as part of the marketing team to bring our brand to life internally. So I worked really hard to create that connection to brand among our team members And at that time, we also introduced our shared culture, but uh, there was a difference. So the difference between brand and culture at that time was we continued to nurture brand and culture took a little bit of a backseat for us, not not because we didn't want to focus on it, but because there wasn't um, someone in the role really focused on nurturing culture. Um, And not that one person makes a culture. I think that's what you're going to hear today is that it really takes a big team of people and and shared belief and real connection to culture across the organization. But someone needs to nurture that and move it forward. And um, we really didn't do that in the same manner that we did with brand. You know, about a year after we launched the brand and, and um, put our mission, vision, and beliefs out, our chief strategy officer, Jim Blazer, pulled me into his office. He was my leader at the time. And he said, you know, we need to focus more attention on culture. It's, it's essential to the organization that we get this right. And um, he asked me to take an internal leave of absence to repackage, relaunch the mission, vision, and beliefs and start nurturing that shared culture. And I was really taken aback. And I said, you know, I have two major concerns. One, I'm not a culture guru. And two, you're saying really that this didn't stick. Am I setting myself up for failure? And 
On that first point, Jim and my other amazing leader, Nancy Corcoran Davidoff, she's our chief experience and human resources officer. They knew my strengths and they saw an opportunity to leverage them. And on the second point, the organization really recognized this moment. And this is key. Leadership at the highest level was very transparent about how we lost sight of culture in the busyness of the absolute importance of focusing on, you know, building the organization, right? We were newly merged. We were really focused on building the organization. And there were so many things we were moving forward. And, you know, for the first two and a half years, we had co-CEOs, Bob Garrett and John Lloyd. And they were both incredible champions and very visible and, and vocal during the relaunch of our mission, vision, and beliefs. And they were, again, were very transparent about the fact that we needed to focus our attention there. And, you know, since that time, John has retired and um, Bob has remained as our CEO. And he often says he's also the chief mission officer. So to all the CEOs listening, you can certainly take a page from Bob's book. That is key for the organization to really, really... Um, hear from the CEO how important culture is. And I have to say, I'm so fortunate to work for a CEO who truly believes in and fully supports the ongoing work we're doing. So you're the first healthcare culture leader we've had on the healthcare subseries. And I think that's a parallel to the fact that a culture leader in healthcare systems, that it's pretty rare, but it's super powerful. And it, and it shares a very profound message around the commitment to building a people first workplace that you all are doing at Hackensack Meridian Health for sure. Kudos on that. And roles like chief mission officers and VPs of cultures are you know, truly game changers and just really illustrate, yeah, that, that sound commitment. So yeah, that's just awesome. I'm so excited to dive in. Thank you for giving us that background. Let's talk about the merger. So that that's a big deal. You guys are a huge system, two big entities coming together. What was it like bringing two cultures together? And I'm sure you're still on the journey, but just share a little bit about that merger of two cultures and your experience. We definitely are still on the journey, but it, it's been exciting challenging and fulfilling. So, you know, the exciting part is like marketing culture is something that challenges you to speak to people's hearts and minds, right? It has to connect with their soul, but it also has to make sense in their daily operation. And so I'll share some of how we did that today. There really has to be, just like in marketing, a strong value proposition for your team. And then, you know, challenging. So, uh, you know, going back to that value proposition, your mission, vision, and beliefs can't just be a beautifully written statement. It needs to be real and livable. And finding the balance of what's real and livable as you're bringing organizations together is really where the magic is. And the only way you discover that is through listening and then packaging what you've heard, right? So it's, it's not creating something in a vacuum. It's really hearing from the team and then packaging that. You have to get your team excited about the culture they want to live and really ensure that it supports your organization's mission, vision, and purpose as well. And those two coexist. Another challenge that we had is we were bringing two really well-established organizations together and we had to get them excited about coming together But I learned also really acknowledge their strengths and their heritage. This was a really key point for our culture. We were very clear that we had one mission, vision, and shared beliefs, 
but that we held many rich traditions. So we were two organizations, but even within those organizations, really each hospital in the, in the network had its own history and its own vibe. And like any merged organization, um, we were hearing the L word, legacy. It was in the beginning of our merger, when people introduced themselves, they would use it as a descriptor. Hi, I'm, you know, John Smith, and I'm from Legacy Meridian. Or hi, you know, Mary Clark, and I'm from Legacy Hackensack. And one of my goals was to banish the L word. But I I wanted to do it in a way where we turned it into something positive. So we really started talking about legacy as tradition. And we used a lot of visual storyboards in our culture work. And so one of the ones that we developed actually showed a tree, a family tree. And each branch featured a a six-word story created by each hospital. So it kind of goes back to that Ernest Hemingway challenge. You know, he was in a bar and someone challenged him to come up with a six-word story, write the great American novel in six words. And he wrote, for sale, baby shoes, never worn. And you immediately got what that story was about. Well, we put that challenge out to our hospitals and... um, you know, I've learned this as well. Our, our hospitals love healthy competition and um, they really love to share what makes them special. And so that was a really good way to do that. And then it's been really, really very fulfilling. Seeing everyone connect and come together is amazing. And now I have a completely different perspective on that um, because during COVID, we've really seen our organization tested and our cultures remain strong. And I I really thought about how can I best explain this? And um, I want to share with you what one of our culture champions, um, Hazel Hacker, her name's Hazel Hacker. She's amazing. She sent this out to all the other champions on her own at the height of the crisis. And it was an email. And she started by sharing a quote from Lyndon B. Johnson, which was, yesterday is not ours to recover, but tomorrow is ours to win or lose. And then she went on to say, you know, what can we do to get through this situation as whole as possible? Continue to look outside ourselves, challenge ourselves and take care of ourselves. The four C's, which I'll, you know, I'll share those with you throughout our discussion today. But the four C's come easy when everything is sweet and rosy, but it shows your character when you're able to practice them during the storm. The fight isn't over, the battle isn't won, and the losses are great, but we will get through this. There will be a new normal that will hopefully be better than the old normal, with important lessons learned and new appreciation gained. All of the speakers we've heard over time reminding us of the importance of gratitude, teaching us how to relax and breathe, reminding us of the need to look outside of ourselves. Those are the lessons for now. And when I got this email, I, I was, I mean, again, when I go back to being fulfilled, this was such a moment for me because all the things Hazel's talking about are different events and different um, tools that we provided to our culture champions and really saw them come to life and really shore us up during this crisis. Wow. That Hazel story is beautiful. <laughs> 
What an illustration. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. There's so much in what you just said, and I know we're going we're gonna to get this all in in our short episode, uh, I hope. But um, let's go back to when you talked about culture needs a strong value proposition, like the vision, mission, and values have to be real and livable. I love that. Tell us more about how you're doing that. Give us some examples. So I think a couple of things. One is you really need to involve your team. You really need to um, create a compelling story and you really need to inspire and leverage your storytellers. So, you know, that's really like some of the lessons I've learned that's helped us through this merger. And so involving the team, you know, the culture has to be really reflective of who you are and who you aspire to be. And the only way to get there is to listen to and involve your team members understand what they hold dear and really work with them to create the future they want to see. And I'm a type A uh, to the core, type A control freak. But the absolute best thing I have done in my career is to learn to let go, listen, and let the team inform the journey. So, you know, as a culture leader, you can still guide the journey and ensure that it's aligned to help your organization move forward. But it's really so important to know the people who live it every day and to, you know, to acknowledge that they have the best ideas and they can be your strongest champions. And then, you know, a value proposition is really about creating a compelling story, right? So this largely comes from the listening part, but then you have to add the magic. So when we did our research, we learned what the team valued and that informed the development of our core beliefs. And what we heard thematically was teamwork, human experience, quality, and being highly reliable, and innovation. So those are all great things to value, especially in healthcare, and they certainly speak to the mind. But when I looked at them, they didn't speak to my heart, and I didn't know that they would speak to our team members' heart. So we crafted our core beliefs. As I mentioned before, they're affectionately known as the four C's, kind of with this knowledge in mind. And so, you know, born out of that discussion was creative, courageous, collaborative, and compassionate. And so innovation became creative. I will do my part to make things better. Quality and HRO became courageous. I will do the right thing. Teamwork became collaborative. I embrace teamwork. And the human experience became compassionate. I am the human experience. So, you know, that was really, really important, getting that value proposition or that story really finely tuned and making sure that it was a heart song as well. The other piece is, you know, making sure you have storytellers, um, and that's really essential. So the four C's, super powerful. Help, help us understand whether it's the, the value proposition message or an initiative like the four C's. Talk about how you have equipped that, like, what is the structure that you've set up to be able to influence this throughout the organization? So those storytellers is really the structure. And so there's really two parts to the storytellers, right? There's, we, we did, um, we did run a, a campaign where we showed our, in multiple ways, we showed our, how our front team, our frontline team rather, is is living those beliefs. So we had posters, we had events, we had all sorts of things that supported the story, but again, through the voice of our team members. But the most important part is our culture champions. 
And what I did was, um, you know, I, I worked with our culture champions to equip them with the key messages and materials. So I was very clear on the why, but they owned the how. And that is another like real um, learning for me. And um, really what made this successful was we gave them a structure, we gave them uh, materials, but they were selected for a reason. And we really gave them the power and the ability to bring these messages and these ideas forward in different events that were specific to where they were. And, you know, there, there are storytellers and there are change agents, and they're the reason why the culture got stickiness. Okay, so this Culture Champions initiative, super intriguing, and really the engine that has penetrated the message and the culture strategy throughout the organization. I really want to hone in on this, and let's break it down, starting with how do you recruit Culture Champions? Like, what's the profile or the role? Like, how are you identifying those people? So a lot of them were voluntold. I went out to leadership and kind of gave a profile of what we were looking for. And then, you know, they, again, like, I don't know everyone in the organization. There are 33,000 team members in our organization. And so you really have to, you know, reach out and work across to get the best result or the best people. And so, um, you know, we are, you know, Hackensack Meridian Health spans the state of New Jersey. We have hundreds of locations and not every location is huge, but there are some major hubs. And so when we developed this network of culture champions, we really have 60 champions across the network and they really cover all those major hubs and they create circles of their own. So we ask them to lead this effort locally and they build their own team or their own circle and they do the work. And, you know, so we have 60 champions, but we have over 600 team members who are culture circle members across the network. And um, that creates tremendous reach into the organization. But, you know, they're a very diverse group. What we were looking for was not necessarily a certain level. Being a leader was not important. It was, or a formal leader, I should say. We were looking for people who were informal leaders as well. What we were really looking for were people who were passionate about Hackensack Meridian Health, who were connected to purpose, who were positive by nature, but also really willing to speak up because we needed to hear the pain points as well as the positives. And so essentially what we were really looking for was the people who fully embody our core beliefs. So we were looking for, you know, people who are creative. They were always looking for a way to make it better, compassionate. So they, you know, they were, they really cared about their team and our patients, obviously collaborative, working and leading a team locally and um, courageous, you know, grounded in doing the right thing, even when it's uncomfortable. And I go back to the first meeting we had with our culture champions. I walked into the room and I immediately knew it was the absolute right group of people. The energy in that room was incredible. Everyone was literally tripping over each other to help one another because there weren't enough seats. And it was like, how can I help you? How can I, oh, let, let's do this. Let's move this around. I mean, just the receptivity to what we were talking about, but also the energy they carried into the room. 
I knew, I knew I was about to meet a group of people who would um, change the organization and change the way I worked. So you said one of your success learnings was to be clear on the why and let them own the how. I want to go back to that for just a second. So let's talk about the, the key components of successfully defining and communicating the why, but also sharing your experience with watching your champions lead the how. So let's start with the why side. If someone's like, okay, now how do I do that? How do I, how do I create the why and then communicate it? Give us some insights there. Absolutely. I think this is where, you know, having a marketing background has been helpful because it was largely through, again, being very, very, very consistent in our message. So, you know, ensuring that we were constantly talking about our shared beliefs, talking about the fact that we had a shared mission, vision and beliefs, but that we fully appreciated, you know, the fact that our organization had rich traditions, creating I mean, I literally worked to create um, supportive materials around each of the four beliefs. We put toolkits together. We gave them materials to pass out that helped people engage in conversation about what it means to be courageous or creative or compassionate. We gave them budget at their location, small budgets, but budget at their locations to bring these materials and these messages to life. And so I think on the why, it's really about your, your must airs, what's, what's really important and staying really consistent in your message. And then on the how piece, um, you know, again, so I'll give you an example, an end-to-end example. So we chunked the year out that first year into four quarters and each quarter they were focusing on a different belief, really, really honing in on it and bringing people together around what it meant to be collaborative or compassionate. Compassionate was around summertime and we gave them all the materials, but the way they brought it together at their locations was so different. So one um, of our culture champions, Bev Cruz, she actually led our patient accounting site. So it's the individuals that go out and do the bill collection. You know, they collect the money in healthcare. So one wouldn't necessarily think of that as like the most compassionate location, but I have to tell you, they are a stellar group of team members. They are all heart and they took compassionate and the way that they brought it to life at their location was they did Christmas in July And they talked about how, you know, being compassionate was really about helping all of our teammates and and really focusing on the human experience and focusing on our patients. And what they did was they created a Christmas tree where everybody could pull an ornament to provide something for uh, residents in our nursing homes. And, you know, I never would have thought of that. It wouldn't have been how I would have done it. But because they thought of it, they owned it, they felt it, it really helped them solidify what compassionate meant. So it was just amazing. I love the stories. <laughs> Keep them coming. But Tria, our time is running short and I want to make sure that you share your strong interest in appreciative inquiry because that was new to me when we had talked for the first time. So I'm going to let you just share just a little bit about where you learned about this and then how you're applying that in your role as VP of culture. 
So when I moved into this role, I was really trying to learn all that I could because it was new to me. And I attended a webinar hosted by um, David Cooper Ryder, and he's sort of the father of Appreciative Inquiry Founder. And it inspired me to go back to school. I'm currently pursuing my degree in organizational leadership. And the reason why it appealed to me is because it's a strength-based approach to creating positive change. And so I've done all the different strengths assessments, and one of my greatest strengths is positivity. And to kind of loosely quote Dr. Cooper Ryder, AI is rooted in the belief that human systems or organizations grow in the direction of what they persistently ask questions about, what they focus on. And the propensity is strongest and most sustainable when the means and ends of inquiry are positively correlated. So it's really focusing on your positive core. What about your organization is compelling, positive, that you'd like to build on and move forward? And what really, really appealed to me is that the principles and practices of AI, and again, kind of quoting him loosely, they suggest the idea that collective strengths do more than perform, they transform. And our mission is to transform healthcare and be a leader of positive change. So this really connected for me. And our vision clearly states that innovation is in our DNA. And so we have this strong call to action as members of Hackensack Meridian to make healthcare better for all. And as a healthcare leader responsible for nurturing a culture of innovation, I was really interested in AI because it, you know, it spoke to that. And healthcare has long, long been deficit focused and bureaucratic, really driving change through dashboards and highlighting gaps and interventions to fix those gaps. And, you know, we continue to face a lot of change in healthcare and it's really disruptive, but we have to continue to deliver these high quality outcomes. And our team members also feel the the squeeze of this in their work every day. And so healthcare is really ripe for change. So we've been socializing and infusing the practice of AI, you know, with our team and with our leadership and in our leadership model as well to really drive strength-based, positive and forward-looking conversations to encourage people to imagine what's possible and build from their personal as well as their organizational strengths to deliver on that mission to transform healthcare, but at the front line. And so the best example I can give is we held an AI summit last November. It was called Connect to Create. We brought together nearly 400 team members, including board members, uh, team members, leaders, patients, and it was all focused on building the best workplace environment together. And they came out with five really key themes, joy in the workplace, onboarding, how we bring people in, communication, work-life balance, and one HMH. And that last one is really important because you asked me earlier about how do you bring merged organizations together? And it can't feel forced. Our team came to this point in the summit where they said, we are one culture, but we, we, need to, we need to enact that even more. We need to own that. And so many people are afraid to bring the team into this kind of discussion because of control issues or the notion that they'll take you down a different or wrong path. And I told you before, I'm a control freak, but I can tell you that when you bring your team in, they absolutely confirm what you already know, but the magic is they will own it. Thank you so much for sharing that, especially giving us some insights into a passionate 
you know, topic area, which is this appreciative inquiry, which I bet is new to a number of our listeners. Definitely was new to me. What's your favorite resource to recommend to a listener wanting to know more about it? Oh, well, uh, Dr. Cooper Ryder has written a number of books. There's, um, I'm looking at my, like my library right now. There's a book called Appreciative Inquiry by David Cooper Ryder and, um, Diana Whitney. And, um, that's kind of like a primer on this. So that would be a great place to start. Thanks for sharing that. All right. We're going to have to transition uh, here in just a minute. Here's my last question for you. What are you most proud of so far in your journey as VP of culture? I'm going to say I'm most proud of our culture champions and our culture circles because they are absolutely the root of our success. They did this voluntarily. It's not a paid position. It's in addition to everything else they're doing. And there is no way we would be where we are without them. So absolutely what I'm most proud of is our culture circles. That's neat. These culture champions, the culture circle, it's just such a cool, real neat example of what you said in the beginning about tying your culture value proposition to something that's real and livable. You know, they're the feet on the street. They are they are living that out loud in all of these different locations. It's just so neat. And I love one of my favorite things that you talked about today is as you're leading this, whoever in the organization, whether you have the title of VP of culture or whoever you are that's leading that strategy, being really clear on the why and then letting them lead the how. And those amazing things that have come that you've given examples, you're like, I never would have thought of this. Like, it's just, it's really neat to see that. So thank you for all of this. We're going to take a quick break here from our sponsor today. Um, we're going to come back to what we call our lightning round, where we'll get to just know you for a couple of minutes. I've got a couple questions for you just to get to know you a little better. So we'll be right back. So in our efforts to launch this healthcare sub-series on Gut Plus Science, my why is Wambi. Wambi specializes in serving the industry that needs the most support, love, and gratitude, and that's healthcare. Together with Wambi, we will be building a community of people-first healthcare leaders and influencers to make a big positive impact on patient satisfaction and overall experience of patients and families, and also engagement of the very valuable healthcare workers in this world. So visit Wambi.org to learn more and hit me up. If you want to talk about the cool partnerships we're working on at Wambi, Nikki and I, K-K-I at Wambi, W-A-M-B-I.org. It'll be in the show notes too. And I am so grateful to be part of this team and part of this movement. Many cool things to come. All right, we're back on Gut Plus Science Healthcare with Tria Debert. Awesome episode today. Absolutely love learning about culture champions and how to build that throughout a large organization or an organization of any size, but really great insights. Thank you, Tria. A couple questions for you. If I had to put you on the spot to pick out your favorite book of all time or a favorite recent read, what would you recommend? Pleasure. Um, one of the books that I really, really, really loved was The Art of Racing in the Rain. It was one of the quickest reads ever. And I love the whole idea behind it of how this dog is watching his human because he fully believes that he's going to be reincarnated as a person someday. And he's observing his his person and all the people around him so that he can take these learnings to come back as the best person he could be. I, I just, I thought it was such a unique way to share that idea. My, my next question for you is how about a favorite vacation spot? My vacation spot is so easy, Charleston. Charleston, South Carolina. It is absolutely where I love to vacation, but also where I want to live. So I'm in New Jersey right now. 
but someday when the time is right, I'd love to um, live and work in Charleston. And if I don't get the opportunity to live and work in Charleston, that's where I want to retire. And how about a favorite hobby when you're not working? I really, I like to run and it's, it's mental and physical. So for me, it's um, a way to keep my body moving, but it's also, I don't do it as a, um, you know, as a social activity, I, I run alone and it helps me to clear my head. And then Tria, how can our listeners connect with you after the show? Well, I'm on LinkedIn and I'm on Twitter. I'm uh, at Ann Triata. So Tria is actually part of my middle name. My middle name is Triata. My first name is Ann. So it's at Ann Triada, A-N-N-E-T-R-I-A-D-A. All right, Tria Debert, thank you. Here's my truth you can act on from your uh, words of wisdom. Number one, organizational culture needs to have a strong value proposition. Spend time making the vision, mission, and values real and livable. Number two, create core beliefs and reiterate them constantly. Tria's examples were creative, courageous, collaborative, and compassionate. Number three, equip employees to be good storytellers of your brand and your culture. And number four, as a people leader, always be clear on the why and then give a really clear path, letting them know the how. Awesome stuff. We'll see you next time on Gut Plus Science, guys. We just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.